Well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, great to see you this evening. Uh, do turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, uh, which David read to us. And as you do that, let's pray together and ask God for his help this evening. And just a simple prayer from the psalmist. Open our eyes, Heavenly Father, that we might see wonderful things in your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, uh, Christmas is coming. Uh, In just three weeks today, there will only be 364 days to go. Uh, Can you believe it? Um, It's not that long at all. Uh, Not that long at all. Well, I imagine we probably have uh, mixed feelings as we look ahead to Christmas 21, uh, never mind uh, Christmas 22. And so this uh, evening and next, I want us to look at two passages in Isaiah to give us some perspective. Next week, chapter 11, and tonight, chapter 9. Um, Handel put these words to music. Uh, We put them on Christmas cards, don't we? Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without them, especially uh, verse uh, 6, of course. And we started Matthew's Gospel this morning uh, with Andy. And these verses are picked up in chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel as Jesus begins his ministry. So tonight, as we look at them, they're all about him. Um, Hundreds of years before Bethlehem, before the angels, before the shepherds, God announced that Christmas was coming. And this passage is, is a wonderful declaration of good news, of great joy for all people. It tells us that God's Son is on his way. And there are three questions I want us to answer this evening as we look at these wonderful verses together. Firstly, as we think about God's Son, who is he for? Who is he for? Well, look at verse 2. Isaiah's message comes to people living in darkness. Darkness is not an experience they've known for a while. No, they walk in it. They live in it. And the idea here is of feeling like darkness is where we belong. Darkness is our destiny. And maybe you can relate to that feeling tonight. Go back a verse and you'll see that these people have been living lives of gloom and anguish. They had experienced contempt. And that is a terrible feeling. They'd been humbled Because of their sin, Zebulun, Naphtali had been repeatedly invaded. And the nations had flocked into Galilee and taken over. So these famous words do not come to people who are basking in their own success. Here are people who look at their circumstances, who look at themselves and say, my whole life, my whole life is black. Writing in the New York Times, um, the author Tish Harrison Warren says this, want to get into the Christmas spirit? 
We all want that, don't we? Face the darkness. Face the darkness. She notes that you and I often rush through December in a kind of whirlwind of activity and glitter, don't we? It can numb us to pain and suffering and sin. But real life is not like a Disney cruise, she says. And to experience the depth of joy that Christmas can really bring, we need to face the fact of sin, don't we? Because with all the treats, with all the tinsel, there's often always, isn't there, tears and trials. Andy alluded to that this morning. And perhaps it's loneliness or memories of someone that we've lost that leaves us in darkness. Perhaps it's a kind of heaviness or depression that just just seems to stick to us like glue. Or maybe it is that year-end reflection where we look at ourselves honestly and we have to admit that we still struggle with things we thought we'd left long in the past. Well, God sent his son to people who feel exactly like that. Someone has put it like this, O come all ye faithless, joyless, and defeated. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Christmas is for failures. Christmas is for people with regrets, with sin, people like me, people like you. Uh, Some of us may be the type of people who are um, super organized and we've got all our Christmas shopping done uh, back in uh, August. Um, Are you one of those people? They kind of amaze me. Um, Lots of us will still be looking for the right kind of gift for someone we love. We want them to be delighted, don't we? We're not going to settle. Well, God didn't settle either. God has given us just who we need. When God promised to send his son, he did it, if I can put it like this, with his eyes wide open. God knew who he was giving him to. God didn't wait for us to clean up our act or get ourselves ready for Jesus. Lots of people think that way, don't they? No, God looked at the world in all its darkness, in all its hopelessness, in all its need, in all its sin. And that was when he sent his son, his joy, our light. That is who he's for, who he's for. Secondly, though, what will he bring? What will he bring? Who is he for? Secondly, what will he bring? In kind of verses um, End of, chapter, end of verse 2, right the way through, all kinds of powerful images are sort of piled on top of each other to describe the great joy that Jesus will bring. When he appears, it will be like the break of dawn, verse 2. Um, like lots of you, we're very familiar with dawn, uh, the early hours, and nobody told us how amazing the Dundee skies are in the morning and at night, of course, as well. But once the boys are up, they're up. Okay, it's like that with 
Jesus when he comes. A new day, a new dawn. It'll be like a harvest, verse 3. After all the sowing and the waiting, the crop will finally arrive. It'll be like a new exodus, a great military victory, verse 4. The yoke of, of burdens, the staff on shoulders, the rod of oppressors, all broken. So people with enemies, people who've experienced oppression, people who've been weighed down and just longed for deliverance will finally, Isaiah says, know relief and joy they never thought possible. This is the shalom, the peace God promises. I think sometimes at Christmas we get um, little kind of mini shaloms, we could say, many foretastes of this. And maybe it's uh, the long uh, walk and talk with a really good friend that we've, where we feel really known, we feel understood. Maybe it's the, the fun family gathering, uh, the wonderful meal, the joke that makes us laugh with tears streaming down our faces. Christmas can be very hard, can't it? But at times, don't people often say, why can't it always be like this? There is something about it that makes us long for more. And the wonderful promise in this passage is that the deep desires that you and I have for lasting peace and lasting joy, the longings that so many people have, whether they're Christians or not, are wonderfully fulfilled in Jesus. And we need to add, though, don't we, that it is only in him that this can be so. All human attempts fail, but there is one who can bring us true peace. Verse 6, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be on his shoulder. Now just notice the two G words in that verse, he will be a gift. He will be a gift. He will be given to us. What is the opposite of a gift? It's a wage, I think, isn't it? Well, we won't earn Jesus. He will come to us, Isaiah is saying, because of God's sheer grace. It will be a glorious interruption. Births are like that, aren't they? None of this will happen because of our planning or our godliness. No, when Jesus comes, he will be a gift. And he will rule forever. That's the second G, government. Government. Someone once said that all political careers end in failure. And Thatcher, Major, Blair, Brown, Cameron, May, it will be true. It was true of them. It will be true of Boris. It will be true of Nicola. But the government of Jesus will never cease. He'll never be voted out. He'll never have to resign. And his throne is completely secure. And just look at his titles, his names. This is what Jesus is for us, for his people, what he is for each one of us individually. He is the wonderful counselor. 
That first word means marvel, extraordinary, hard to fully comprehend. He will know how to advise his people. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's mighty God. So not just a man, but divine. He's everlasting father. By that, it means that his fatherly care will follow us all the days of our lives. He's the prince of peace. When he comes, it's not so much that he'll give us a sense of calm inside, but that he will guarantee peace forever. One day, conflict will cease. This is the son God promised. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Joy to the world is a favorite Christmas carol, isn't it? There's one verse that we sometimes omit. I wonder if you know it. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Friends, do you see that the cosmic scale of Christmas, what happened at Bethlehem echoes through the universe. One day, blessing will come to the whole of creation because of him. One day, the sin, the sorrow, the thorns of the first Adam will be overcome by the last. This is what God is promising us in his word. I think um, you and I, we live in a culture with so little hope and so little to live for. And we're so focused on the immediate. Um, In 1985, um, the author, Neil Postman, he wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Amusing Ourselves to Death. Uh, Many have commented that uh, today the first word could easily be changed to distracting. Distracting ourselves to death. We are so distracted, aren't we? Texts, emails, social media, it impacts our discipleship. Our attention spans are shortening. We're so focused on the immediate, the now. And it is all compounded, I think, at this time of year. But Isaiah 9 is in God's word to grab our attention tonight, to wake us up to the wonderful future God has promised. But how do we know that this isn't just wishful thinking? How do we know that Isaiah is not overpromising? Jesus has come, hasn't he? But we don't see this peace. Jesus tonight doesn't seem to reign. How can we know that all of this that is spoken about here will come to pass? I think this is a really important question. Christianity is not a kind of sentimentalism. Christianity is true or false. And verses 6 and 7, they are so grand 
that we should have sympathy for the person who struggles to believe them. Is the story of Jesus just for the kids? Should we grow out of it as we grow up? Or is it really true? Is it really true? And that brings me to my last point. How can we know? How can we know? Who is he for? What will he bring? How can we know? Throughout this passage, there is a switch, um, if you look at it closely, between the past and the future. And if you scan down the verses, you'll notice that, that certain events are described as having happened already, while others are in the future. So the light has shone, verse 2. The harvest has come, verse 3. The victory has been won, verse 4. The fire will burn, verse 5. The king will reign, verse 7. But none of it has actually happened when Isaiah speaks. This mixing of the tenses is God's way of showing that it is as good as done. See, when we make promises, we make plans, we don't always carry them out, do we? And sometimes we break them. Sometimes, for whatever reason, our plans fail. But God is never like that. Nothing can act on him or hinder his plans. But still, how can we know all of this is true? I think that understanding the word Advent can help us here. Advent is the type of word that we use at this time of year, don't we? We have Advent calendars um, and all of that. And I looked up the word Advent in the dictionary. This is the definition I got. The arrival of a notable person or thing. The arrival of a notable person or thing. And in the season of Advent, Christians remember that Jesus came, but they also remember that he will come again. You see, Jesus has two Advents. His arrival is like a film or a book with two parts. And you and I live in what someone has called the time between the time between. Jesus came in humility. But the Bible teaches he will return in glory. Jesus was born in obscurity. But no one will miss his second coming. And that makes our response to him now more important than anything else. When he returns, he will do all that is promised in these verses. No rebel will be able to stand against him. He will have no rivals. I wonder this evening, are you ready? Have you bowed the knee to Jesus? Are you looking forward to seeing his face? These ideas that we're talking about, they were really puzzling for the Jewish people in the first century. They thought that when the Messiah came, and he would kick out the Romans, and he would reign in Jerusalem. And that's why so many, I think, failed to see who Jesus really was. But God was working on a much bigger canvas. 
God was working on a much longer time scale. The subjects of the king were not going to simply be from Israel, but all people. I think there's a little hint of this in verse 6. It says um, that his government, his peace is not restricted to one location. Um, It increases, it grows, and it's growing today. Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus ascended, and the message went out silently, patiently. God has been building his kingdom ever since. Jesus' rule has already begun in the hearts of those who love him. And one day when he returns, all will see just how glorious he is. Friends, tonight we can have confidence because stage one has happened and stage two will happen. And we can have confidence because of our final verse. How do we know it will all take place? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And the idea here is that God is is passionately committed to his own cause. What he has planned is going to happen. In one of his books, um, the American preacher Dale Ralph Davis, he tells the surprising story of a Scottish minister called Aeneas Sage, which is a bit of a funny name. Aeneas Sage, um, Reverend Sage, he ministered in a small community in the Highlands in the 17th century. But to his disappointment, he often found that people were not very keen to come to church. He was eager for his parishioners to hear the good news of Jesus, and he struck upon a novel idea to get them in. He was quite a physically imposing individual. And so he decided to challenge a local strongman called Big Rory to a wrestling match. And Sage managed to defeat him. And Big Rory took the defeat very admirably. And so the two men made a pact. Each Sunday they would march through the village. They would drag people into the church. They would lock the door, and once a a congregation of suitable size had been assembled, Sage would begin to preach while Big Rory stood at the entrance brandishing a club. And Davis writes this, he says, The fascinating thing is that there was such inevitability about it. Sage wanted a Sabbath congregation. He was going to have one and there was nothing that anyone was going to do to stop it. Now I should point out it's probably not uh, the wisest uh, move. I'm not suggesting it as a church growth strategy. It's not on the session agenda, I don't think, on Tuesday night. But it illustrates something. Um, It reminds us of a God who is utterly devoted to his purposes, a God who will go to every possible length to have a people for himself. He will keep them for himself. He will have his way. That is our confidence as Christians tonight. 
And the God we meet here in Isaiah 9 is a God who doesn't need us to get his work done. That is very freeing. It means that his work is his work. And it doesn't all depend on us. Someone has put it like this. God's answer, God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. Satan goes to war against God. And God is so confident of victory, so certain, that he simply promises to send a baby. And so this Christmas, in the midst of all the rush, let these truths settle on your heart. God promised his son. God kept his word. He came down to earth from heaven. And one day, one glorious day, he will come again. Let's pray together. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Our loving heavenly father, we thank you that this is what Jesus is for us. And we rejoice uh, tonight in him. We thank you that he came and we thank you for the promise of your word that one day he will come again. Help us live faithfully in that time between. Help us uh, follow him. Help us trust him. And we pray all these things in his name and for his sake.